Really True Fiction is a podcast exploring famous stories to discover the wisdoms, lessons, insights, and ideas therein. Be advised that there will be heavy spoilers for whatever story we are discussing in this episode, as well as potential spoilers for other stories. Check episode notes or social media posts for additional spoilers. Please note that this podcast contains so many bad words and so many crude observations. If this is not your jam, please don't bring the toast. episode of Really True Fiction. My name is Luke Mason. And my name is David Parker. David, when you think of scientific progress, what's the onomatopoeia that comes to mind first? Boink. (laughs) (laughs) And when you think of weirdos, do you think of them as terrestrial or from another planet? I tend to think of them as from another planet. (laughs) (laughs) And if um, you are going to a territory, let's say, which one would you choose? Yukon Ho! (laughs) (laughs) So, that is our not-so-subtle <laughs> segue into this episode of Really True Fiction, which is, as you've probably ascertained, Calvin and Hobbes, one of the greatest comic strips ever. And I was just thinking about this today, that I was... So, the, the strip itself ran in newspapers from 1985 to 1995, so a couple of years before I was born, until I was about eight, I guess, and... I was a little bit too young to have actually re- have read them in the newspapers when they're in the newspaper. So I actually only ever got to read them in the book compilations that were made and sold in stores. So it's kind of like the original form of binging. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because yeah. if you had, if you think about like a TV show, like if you had read Calvin and Hobbes in the newspapers. You get one strip a, a day. Yeah, maybe, you get one or... strip a day and then the Sunday one, which is really cool. But then... What, you know, by the time I was about 11 or 12 and kind of old enough to read Calvin and Hobbes and get most of the jokes, although obviously not a lot of not all of them because there's so much of it geared towards adults, you know, those were already all in books. So I could just binge read them. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel kind of lucky about that as opposed to having to <laughs> get every strip every, every, every yeah. single. I actually, the first time I ever encountered Calvin and Hobbes was at your house uh, when we were visiting you and they were there. And I remember binge reading a Calvin and Hobbes comic like for, yeah. for days. Yeah, I mean, and so like, the, the two main ones that we had growing up were Scientific Progress Goes Boink and Weirdos from Another Planet and the original, which was just self-titled like the first ever book of the first ever uh comic panels and then i think a little also yukon ho yeah but i don't think my family had that one no Uh, we also did have um or eventually like a little later on we got the days are just packed yes which are which is one of the later i think it's like probably 93 ish time when he was writing them and so the style and even the content is very different because he's much more polished so yes calvin and hobbes by bill watterson the enigmatic and does he even exist <laughs> bill watterson <laughs> i actually recently read a book from one of my friends about chasing i think it's called chasing calvin hobbs or finding calvin and hobbs and it's like a what would you even call it it's like a proxy biography <laughs> of the strip because he never actually gets to talk to bill watterson because bill watterson doesn't do press because you know many reasons he wanted to maintain the integrity of the comic strip itself 
which one of the things you find out in this book is that Bill Watterson really resisted and then made not happen merchandising of Calvin and Hobbes. So as opposed to comics like Garfield or Peanuts, where you can get a Snoopy doll anywhere or a Garfield or they make movies, Calvin and Hobbes is, I think, probably singularly unique. Well, they have those bumper stickers. Have you ever seen those ones? Yeah, but those aren't those aren't official. sanctioned. Oh, they're not sanctioned. No, no. Oh. So Bill, I mean, the scuttlebutt, as far as I can tell, is Bill Watterson is not impressed with those. Right. Yeah, which is fair. Which is <laughs> yeah, fair. Right. So again, I think Calvin Hobbes probably, like, you can count the amount of, you can count these on one finger. How many comic strips are that are this famous that live only in? The comic book itself. Yeah, there's no movies, no, no books, just that's it. Which, although, I, have you read those comics that are like futuristic Calvin and Hobbes, where like he, they're online, just some like random artist will do a when they grow up. Right. Yeah, I think I have seen those. I think he has a daughter. Yeah, he, he has a he has a daughter and he the, marries Susie. Right. Of course. <laughs> Whoa, who saw that coming? Shocker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he has a daughter, and I think she starts playing with Hobbes. Yeah. Yeah, and there's and like they a really friends. there's a heart wrenching panel where you see Hobbes like turning back at Calvin, like he's a little uncertain what he's supposed to do, but Calvin's like, no, you go play with her, it's yeah. fine, kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is a comic strip that has kind of everyone I know, like of my era and and of my kind of age range, knows about Calvin and Hobbes or read it. It kind of saturated our generation didn't it yeah everyone i was yeah it was pretty universal i would say you see it at other people's houses all the time the lazy sunday yeah <laughs> yep, yep and i mean we'll get into this way more but just bill watterson's sense of humor he would have compilations which would be like the authoritative calvin and Hobbes or the indispensable calvin and Hobbes, <laughs> right and and of course the joke being <laughs> that they were compilations well of the so much of the implicit humor in Calvin and Hobbes is the absurdity of taking yourself too seriously. Yes. And like how yes. that can make you such a, I mean, the more wind you put in your pompous airbag, <laughs> the more noise you make when it gets let out, which it inevitably will. Yeah. Right. And, <laughs> and it frequently gets let out for Calvin. <laughs> exactly. And so that's why I think it's so great that Bill Watterson, you know what it is? It's an unbelievably, poignant example of a artist respecting the intelligence of their audience true to have a comic book or a comic strip that is so so obviously against self-aggrandizement and then to give itself self-aggrandizing titles for its compilations (laughs) the indispensable yeah and it and it works because Watterson knows that we know that he knows what he's doing, <laughs> you know, which actually I think is a major component to comedy in general is that you can laugh at things that are maybe at first blush stupid or pompous because as long as you know that the person making those jokes is self-aware about them, it just takes the sting out of it because the the butt of the joke is the person who doesn't understand that they're being ironic uh, about it. Yes, yes, which <laughs> right? is not the person saying the joke or the audience, I guess, in this case. 
I mean, imagine the situation. Imagine the hilarity of the situation where the person's like, "This is the authoritative Calvin and Hobbes," which means it's more important than all the other Calvin and Hobbes out there. That yeah, person is that- actually the butt of the joke of the title, "The Authoritative Calvin." And Have Hobbes. you ever met a person like this? I really, of course hope- not. But uh, I don't. Yeah. I also don't think that that kind of person that person would be a target market for reader. Calvin and Hobbes. Calvin yeah. and Hobbes no, yes. I think you're probably right. Yeah. So, in case you have never read Calvin and Hobbes, which I, again, <laughs> find the overlap of people who would even listen to us shitheads in the first place, <laughs> and people who are familiar with Calvin and Hobbes to be probably over 99%. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but in case you don't... Maybe they're um, from a, a different country and they... I suppose so, you know, yeah. Fair maybe enough. Calvin so, and Calvin and Hobbes. Hobbes is a comic strip uh, that was syndicated in newspapers for those 10 years I mentioned earlier, which featured Calvin, who was a six-year-old boy, and his pet tiger, Hobbes, but his it's not a real tiger, or is it? <laughs> Hobbes <laughs> is ostensibly a stuffed animal. He appears that way to all the other characters in the story except Calvin. And so when it's just Calvin and Hobbes, Hobbes comes to life and is anthropomorphized and just talks to Calvin. They're best friends. They hang out. And so that's like the the heart of the comic strip surrounds those two. And then there's not many characters in this. I, I kind of no. realized. So there's Calvin and Hobbes. There's his mom and his dad, who are the only other two characters, and, and Susie. So his mom, dad, and his neighbor, Susie Durkins, who also goes to school with him. So a lot of this, his school-based humor is with Susie. And so it's those five, and those five probably are 98 to 99% of the characters that you see. There's also Rosalind, who oh, is yeah, the babysitter, the babysitter who is in, you know, every every so often. And Mo, the school bully. What's the teacher's name? Miss Wormwood. Yeah, that's right. Miss Wormwood, Wormwood is yeah. the teacher. And a, the principal. Who oh yeah. I'm feeling yeah. <laughs> really stupid right now because I'm totally blanking on his name and I know they say it in the comics, but I'm not gonna pretend like I don't know it right now. <laughs> or like I do know it right now when I don't. So fair. He's fair. in there a lot too. Yeah, that's about it. I mean, they have some random sometimes they're strangers, but it's and I mean, honestly, it's mostly Calvin and Hobbes anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I would say probably about seven sixty to seventy percent of the comic strips are just the two of them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And or or some imaginative world that yeah. Calvin's created. Uh, yes. It, well, yeah, of course. <laughs> and then basically the setting is just Calvin and Hobbes' house. Apparently they live like kind of in the Midwest type of thing. Or um, like Bill Watterson himself, the guy who created it, he is from Ohio. So that's where he's from. So I think it's supposed to be kind of like that middle of the United States type of but feel. But northern, because there's definitely snow. Yeah, there's snow yeah. and there's fall. So, yeah, and actually, in the panel, Weirdos from Another Planet, when they're traveling through space in their wagon, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> Hobbes actually has a line where he says, I think our house is beside a giant E in the word states on the map, which would put it in around the Ohio area, right? If you read it left to right, yes. west to east. Kind yes, of thing. yes so true, true. We're supposed to assume that like Ohio, Pennsylvania type of, not rural setting, but like smaller town, I think. Yeah, it definitely doesn't seem to be a major city at all. No. Like. And then, you know, the shenanigans therein, <laughs> which are many and profuse. But this, like, this comic book just captured my heart as a child. You know, like I, I remember just for hours reading Calvin Hobbes and rereading and rereading it and loving it. And 
it was a little bit of a mystery to me then, which has become, I think, less of a mystery as I've gotten older and thought about it and just kind of how deeply heartfelt it is. There's a similar type of humor to Calvin and Hobbes, as I feel, to the TV show The Office, especially the American one, where it's just like jokes galore. And it's so funny and so smart. But every now and again, you just get this like really deep, heartfelt, real life snippet. In some ways, I feel like the beauty of Calvin and Hobbes is it take, which is the beauty of really great art, is it takes the mundane and makes it interesting. Yes. Like it takes... And humorous. Yeah, and humorous. It takes day-to-day life. And and we all have had those moments, right, where you're laughing hysterically with your family about something or your friends. You think something's so funny in the moment and it's like one of those you-had-to-be-there moments because when you tell the story later, nobody else thinks it's funny. And I feel like a lot of Calvin and Hobbes is taking that feeling that we've all been through, but also the childhood wonder at life itself and all the cool things you can do <laughs> being alive. Yeah. Uh, and it really distills that into something like it's art, yes. in my opinion. And oh, it's accessible high art. Yeah. <laughs> if exactly. such a genre exists, right? And it's so funny because with Calvin, he is six, but he gives the perspective about like sometimes he's just a kid. And sometimes he's like the world's smartest philosopher kind of thing. And well, that's the, the world's great Calvin the world. and Hobbes, right? That's yeah. the great yeah, of course <laughs> title. But he's also like the world's most self-aggrandizing egoist. <laughs> he's unbelievably just self-involved. And Hobbes is the great punchline type to be with him to make all of those to take the air out of his balloon, as it were. Right. Well, yeah, I think that's my favorite thing about their relationship is that. It seems to be this constant cycle of Hobbes bringing Calvin back down to earth or stopping him from losing his head too much or yeah, giving him reason <laughs> in you light of, <laughs> of his, out of his like complete lunacy or yeah. stopping his evil genius plans. I don't think you could count the amount of times in the comic strip where Hobbes is either rolling his eyes or being sarcastic or exactly. facetious. Right? Exactly. But, and it's such an interesting friendship, right? Because... They're their best friends, and, and you see so many times the love that they have for one another, and yet there's this constant almost bickering yes. <laughs> between oh, them. Oh, yeah. And, well, and Hobbes very often enters into the frivolity yes. of Calvin. Like, oh. He's not above it. No, no. <laughs> it, when it's when the stars are aligned, which is, happens enough in the, in the comic strip, Hobbes is just right there with Calvin doing the crazy thing that he's has decided to do because one of the things that is great i'll say this again this comic strip is a love letter to imagination ah yes right i think fundamentally it's bill watterson through calvin and hobbes singing a 10-year ballad to the life of the mind and creativity and imagination well i think and as a child uh when you're reading this like let's say between six and puberty you get that and you love going on these imaginative journeys with Calvin because you are still going on these imaginative journeys without any the assistance of anything like a like a movie or a book you yeah. you're living in a world that you're creating sometimes yeah. and uh i have a niece and nephew and watching them i i now just tell them these crazy stories and just seeing their eyes get really big and you know they're imagining it like full on yeah it's just there's nothing quite like it and so seeing that in Calvin and Hobbes and getting to experience that in Calvin and Hobbes with Calvin and Hobbes, I think is what really draws you in. I love that. Love letter to imagination. That's a great yeah. way of putting it. Yeah. 
And so because I think I read somewhere that there's over 3,000, probably like 3,500 even actual panels or strips of Calvin Hobbes, there's obviously there's just so much content for us to talk about. So we're going to try and like actually, I we've picked out specific panels from throughout the, uh, what would you call it, the comicography? The, yeah. <laughs> I don't even know the, the right uh, term. Yeah, I don't know. The what bibliography. <laughs> I'm going to call it the comicography. Comicography. <laughs> yes. Let's just coin that term. Uh, and so one of the first ones that I... It's not a specific panel, but it is something that recurs. And it's Calvin's... Because Calvin is very selfish a lot of the time, right? And he's always trying to almost like trick Santa <laughs> into thinking that Santa wants... Or like that he's good, right? <laughs> so there's a panel where he's yes, basically yes. doing a Pascal's wager with Santa. For those who don't know... Pascal's Wager is from the 17th century French philosopher and mathematician Blaise Pascal, who very quickly, he just pitched this idea (laughs) to the world, I guess, of like why it's actually more logical to believe in God. And it's like the quadrant of like, God exists and you believe you get to go to heaven. God exists and you don't believe you go to hell. God doesn't exist. You believe nothing happens. God doesn't exist, you don't believe, nothing, nothing happens. happens, right? So it's no skin off your teeth to believe in God, <laughs> basically <laughs> which, kind of thing. Which is kind because of a, you're hedging, a, you're hedging your bets, yeah, right? You're hedging yeah. your bets for the afterlife. Yeah. Now, the obvious cynicism therein of such an idea that all you got to do is kind of like trick God, and then God will give you paradise forever. <laughs> That's kind of what Calvin is doing. With Santa. With Santa. About, about being like, him being good. <laughs> yeah, it's like, um, I'm going to believe in Santa, and I'm going to be good because... Even if Santa's not real, it's better to like pretend. Uh, like I'm gonna pretend to be good, <laughs> so that's <laughs> yeah. Santa's he's not will... actually interested yeah, in good. being good, and like that is actually a perfect, not a perfect. That is a very common thing about Calvin is that he is feigning goodness, and he often goes through a lot of effort to feign goodness just to get something of his own later on. Yeah. Oh, that happens all the time, and and the thing is, he is the fundamental selfishness of a child, but. He doesn't seem to be evil, really. Like, we know there's goodness in him. We know that, like, he cares about people deep down. He certainly cares about Hobbes. Yeah. But but really, he just, like, all of the bad things he does aren't that bad. Yeah, you know that's I mean? like, true. But they're bad in the mind of a child. Like, well, they're, dis- they're disobeying your parents, causing your parents grief. Yeah. They're bad in this sense, I think. The deepest bad, if that is a term that could be applied to Calvin, because, again, there, there are some parts of Calvin and Hobbes that are serialized. So there will be like a chunk of like maybe 12 strips in a row that are one serial story. But then it again, it just starts over again and it's all like uh, episodic. So it's just panel by panel. It's telling its own story kind of thing, right? So you don't really get a character arc no, of Calvin no, exactly, no. right? He's just kind and of... He's kind of always the same age for 10 years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's like South Park or The Simpsons. Yeah. Like they just are there forever and never age, right? Yeah, he but, had a packed So, so I guess we the, the deep is bad about Calvin is his selfishness. Yes. Right? He is very selfish. And one of the great humoristic uh, little flares in Calvin and Hobbes is how articulate Watterson makes Calvin in his pursuit of his really small-minded goals. (laughs) Right? Like, (laughs) it's a great contrast. Like, Calvin's vocabulary and his knowledge about the world are, like... A postdoc <laughs> student. Yeah, like and yet, and yet all of it is put in the pursuit of like gaining trivial items in his life. Like, like not having to go to bed yeah, as not, early. Yeah, or, or like getting cookies. Or, or, or tricking his 
babysitter yeah. until him being outside longer. So, uh, like, the humor being he's just got this capacity that he puts into satisfying the desires of a six-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Which yes. is a great thing yeah, that yeah. Larson does. So, but on this uh, little thing about imagination, he's got some great alter egos. So, he's got the best one is and the most long-running one is Spaceman Spiff. Spaceman Spiff being... The intergalactic space almost, traveler, almost like a, a Han Solo without yes. a Millennium Falcon, yeah, uh, and like obviously a hero, you know. And these panels are always set up with like most of the panel is Spaceman Spiff traveling somewhere, fighting some aliens, and then the last panel is always just Calvin, and the alien is his teacher, and he's you trying know, to kill. Her. He's in trouble again <laughs> yeah. for something or whatever, and and like or the bully, or it's a bully, <laughs> and his gun never works because he's always trying to take on these adults or the bully, and it's just like, oh, it has no effect, kind of thing, right? <laughs> and then there's Stupendous Man, who is his superhero alter ego, and there's a hilarious line. This is the best way to sum up Stupendous Man and probably actually Spaceman Spiff as well. Uh, Hobbs in one panel says to Calvin, he says. Has Stupendous Man ever won any battles? <laughs> and Calvin, as Stupendous Man says, well, they're all moral victories. <laughs> you know? And it's yes. just like, I, I get a satisfaction out of even just being Stupendous Man, even if I never get my way. Because ostensibly, Calvin is trying to like get out of a dinner or get out of going to the bath when his parents tell him he has to take a bath or like stay out longer or run away from his babysitter. Right. And these never work. Like that's a funny thing about this comic is that Calvin's plans almost never work. Yeah. Over 90% of the time they don't work. <laughs> and, and, and and the very few times they do like something catastrophic happens. Yeah. Like he loses Hobbs in the forest or yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and, but see the funny thing for me is that he's never, he never regrets doing it. No. Even, and even though his punishment is a little bit worse because he's kind of like, well, at least, I resisted right? these <laughs> these small tyrannies that he perceives. Like at least I was, at least I did not go quietly into that good night. <laughs> kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, exactly. And, like jokes aside, there is something admirable in a noble resistance to something. Now, obviously in Calvin and Hobbes, it's all jokey because he's resisting things that aren't really that bad, like taking a bath or going to bed. But I do get a little bit of the motif of admiring someone who resists or someone who's a dissident towards something or like has a contrary opinion to the prevailing attitude of the whatever environment they're in. And even if it fails, there's something weirdly inspiring in these moral victories Stupendous Man talks about, right? Well, well, it's like you said, but I, I think it goes uh, somewhat deeper than that. Like all of Calvin's heroes are... They're not like leaders of large armies or, you know, the, they're loners who are just against the man or against the machine or, yeah. you know, they're they're living in this world that like everything is oppressing, but like I will strive on, I will persist. Right? Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think, you know, it makes somewhat sense for Calvin just because that's like kind of like what it is like being a six-year-old, like yeah. all these rules and structures and mm-hmm. I mean, he hates school. And like really, if you think about it, this is his first year in school as a six-year-old. So like all the freedom that he's experienced up to this point is he being even more restricted by having to go to school and he hates going to school. Like all those panels where he's standing waiting for the bus, right? Yeah. Just, it's just miserable. Hell for him. <laughs> just hates it. And uh 
I think that escaping to that place where he can live in his mind yeah. and be something great or mm-hmm. exciting or have this experience, like like you said, that's the love letter to the imagination. Yeah, and, and so like when he is Spaceman Spiff or Stupendous Man, or I think his detective alter ego is Tracer Bullet, which is just a great name, right? <laughs> or often when he's like a dinosaur, he's always a T-Rex, right? Yeah. What is so fun about that is that in the panels where it's him in his imagination, he's like unstoppable, right? He's debonair, he's charismatic, he's unflappable, which is very much contrasted to how ignomious his comeuppances always are <laughs> by his <laughs> by his mom and his dad and his teacher or the babysitter, right? Like he's when he's stupendous man, he'll often just be picked up by his mom. He's like, oh. <laughs> and, but I still like I love. I just I there is something a little bit inspiring in even just the pursuit of a rebellion against something that you think isn't fair. Again, Calvin's case, he's not exactly right about it, but I still think that there's something there with how you might admire someone who dissents against an unfair law or someone who uh, dissents against an unfair custom or a taboo that they that they feel is unjust in some way. And I think that the stupendous man especially is a funny, jokey meditation on that kind of thing. Yeah, and yeah, the, like you said, the nobility of the, the moral victory. Yeah, <laughs> they're all moral victories. Yeah. <laughs> One other thing about Calvin is he's, he can be very reflective sometimes, which is funny, right? Like he's, um, there's a lot, got to start listening to those quiet, nagging doubts, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so this is a little, this is um, a little tip of the hat from Bill Watterson to Conscience or Socrates Damon, or I think Adam Smith used the term, the small man in the breast, not <laughs> boobs, but like in your chest. <laughs> the metaphorical the, chest of the will. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like the the little part of yourself that when you're going down a path, you know you probably shouldn't, or putting yourself in a situation you know you shouldn't, you're like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? And I like that Calvin always pays lip service to these wisdoms <laughs> but but never never, li- never listens to never them. lives them hey yeah. like he, he only ever lives his wisdoms after he's like he has to learn all his own lessons like he well, can't I think ever his mom learn says at one point why do you have to learn everything the hard way yeah. like he can never learn from other people's experience no no <laughs> every he has to everything has to be learned the hard way whatever whether it's you know that he has to eat his dinner or yeah. you know so here's a great great encapsulation of if there was like a, a circumspect take on Calvin's character, there's a panel or there's a, like a, a, a little serialized section where he accidentally breaks his dad's binoculars. And he says to Hobbes, oh my gosh, Hobbes, we've got to run away. I broke dad's binoculars. And Hobbes says, well, you know, let's take a look. What'd you do? Did you just, you know, did you crack the lens? And then Calvin like shows him a box of just dust, <laughs> right? Like it's like just destroyed. It's like, well, what happened? He's like, well, I mean, I just dropped them. I mean, I was running as fast as I could at the time and throwing them in the air. <laughs> right? There is yes. that always humor yeah. where Calvin always leads with the most innocuous version of the story <laughs> and then leaves those details. Things that are details that are actually the most relevant parts are um, such a kid thing to do, hey? Oh, you you dropped them. Yeah, I just dropped them. 
I mean, I was running <laughs> and throwing him <laughs> up throwing in, the him in the air. <laughs> but that's a minor detail, right? Yeah, yeah. So then what happens is Calvin feels so bad. He's so scared. He's whimpering. He's like very, you, like there's a lot of sympathy you get to Calvin, right? <clears throat> oh, poor little guy. And then he goes and tells his dad. His dad rages. And then there's like the heartfelt part of Calvin Hobbes where Calvin says, well, look, dad, let's pretend like I'm, I already feel terrible about this and you can skip the yelling at me <laughs> right and then his dad feels sorry for him and then they have a good talk and there's like character building as his dad would say <laughs> his dad loves character building <laughs> yes. and then calvin like the next panel is calvin saying hobbs look Cal- look hobbs dad bought me my own pair of binoculars and hobbs says wow these are nice and calvin says yeah dad said if i'm gonna break a pair of binoculars i might as well break my own <laughs> And Hobbes says, well, that's some that form makes, of, yeah. that makes a lot of sense. That <laughs> This is the perfect joke punch. This is a perfect Calvin Hobbes punchline for Calvin's learning. And I say that with quotes. He says, gee, I wonder if we break some of dad's power tools. <laughs> <He'll get us." laughs> right? Like just immediately seems to have forgotten you know, the he, lesson he, he just learned. He's, he's looking at the cause and effect and he's like, oh, I got this. Yeah. Which is like such a kid thing to do too, yeah. right? You're like, Oh man, that worked out pretty well. Maybe I'll repeat that lesson. And, yeah, he's got no. This this is just more like the style of the comic itself. It's like there's just been this really nice, like sprawling little mini storyline in here about wow, Calvin learned the value of possessions and taking care of your stuff. Nope, just give no. me those goddamn power tools. How do I get them? I want more things yeah. for me. Aggressively not learning. <laughs> it's Calvin's. Yes. seems it seems to be his mo. Hey. I love <laughs> aggressively not learning yeah uh. here's another little great example of calvin's grandiosity that is again like so much of calvin and Hobbes is a sat- like this is really a satire I-, I think a lot of this comic is a satire on the pompous attitude oh, okay because yeah, yeah. because what happens is calvin is very pompous he's not quite like cartman level pompous but he is very pompous. i feel like he's like a kind of a, a like, redeemed cartman yeah right? or like, carmen light or something yeah right? yeah but what is satisfying to us is that he always gets his comeuppance so there's a great panel where and this is common because calvin always tries to domineer over the things that he has control over right well and yeah because so, he always <laughs> is picturing himself like you said as the t-rex or like yeah. the lord yeah. or like like the, the dictator the or alpha's alpha <laughs> of whatever he's doing right? he like he wants to be donald trump if he knew who donald trump was <laughs> right? like, oh man why shoot so low <laughs> yeah. like there are actual panels where he's god yeah <laughs> right yeah like yeah. he's the creator so, of the yeah. cosmos and he, but he's not like a nice creator he like no. just is always destroying things he just wants power and control, which I think actually goes back to the whole six-year-old mindset yeah. of, you know, everything's structured for you. You don't get to make really that many choices, and, and he just wants well, control he's, so bad. Yeah, I mean, he's way more articulate than I was when I was six. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think everything was just a basket of emotions when you were six. You know? he's, he's really, like, he's only six years old in his appetites and his desires. Like, his output is all way older than that. Yeah, yeah. So there's this great panel where he's like, he's standing by these flowers and he has a watering can and he's just like, I hold your fate in my power. I am your God. Do you want this I, water? <laughs> I choose your life and your death. And the final panel is just, it's starting to rain. Right. And so, and he's just standing there like totally defeated and dejected. And it's, it's, you know, it's a perfect, again, I'm going to probably say this a lot because these are the ones I took notes of, but it's like a perfect Calvin and Hobbes joke. 
yes. right? Forget style. That that is like that, that encapsulates of, yeah. the yeah the type of humor we're Calvin experiencing. Calvin sets himself up 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 only to be defeated by reality. <laughs> but it's great because it's it's so like one of my. I guess it's a pet peeve. That would probably be the best way to put it. I don't like to think I have pet peeves, but that's probably just something about me, right? <laughs> they seem <laughs> pet peeves seem petty. Yeah, you're like my peeves, <laughs> if you will, are like thoughtful. Yeah, and, yeah, exactly. When I get annoyed, it's for really legitimate. But reasons. really, I just have the same normal human inputs that annoy me, like anyone else, right? <laughs> so one of them, though, is when people get annoyed at the weather. Like right, I just like right. what the fuck? <laughs> like, oh, why is it raining? Or, or but, why is it so or, cold outside? But the more winter. abstractly, like people who are annoyed at the natural course of reality. Yes. And yes. what's so great about Calvin? He's just oblivious to it until it hits him, and then it hits him so hard that he's every rung he's walked up, he's immediately put back down. Right? Because like, if that plant was alive, he'd be like, well. I guess you're not the god of me kind of thing. Yeah. And what can Calvin say? Well, I mean, the right? plant is alive. It's just not... Uh... Yeah, but it's... Well, okay. It's not It's not sentient. Sure, yes. That's what I mean. <laughs> what What is so profound, I think, in a joke like that is it's a reminder of what can happen to you, how you get taken down so hard if your psychological self-narration gets removed enough from the natural world oh right yeah i love that insight and i, I was just thinking i mean i'm sure you've heard this and i, I think this theory is half baked that you know calvin's based on john calvin and hobbes is based on well it's an easy connection but, but i don't but but the interesting thing is and i don't know if this is just me reading into things but i've always thought like you said the rain falling on the flowers that he's claiming control over is such a perfect thing. But actually, I think that it's a parody, always, of predestination, right? Like, really, what we're seeing, like, fatalism constantly being acted out in Calvin's life, right? Yeah. Where, like you said, reality just keeps slapping him in the face and saying, hey, you don't control, you don't have free choice, like, all these things you're trying to do are always foiled because reality yeah. is so powerful. Mm-hmm. And But I completely agree. The, the worst kind of way to live is to be so consumed by your petty narcissism <laughs> that, that something is going to destroy your emotional well-being yeah. simply because you couldn't actually understand what reality is. Like, what kind of satisfaction could a person actually get out of domineering a plant anyway? Like... <laughs> Like that, it's taken to an extreme yeah. in that scenario, right? Yeah. But you can imagine it of domineering over other people. Well, yeah, right? exactly. Or, or making other people feel small so yeah. you can feel big. Yeah. Like, um, and how nature comes for all of us. Maybe the rain at the end of the panel is just an uprising against you if you're a dictator or a tyrant, or just like entropy taking over your cells and you just starting to deteriorate, right? Like, there's always going to be something that shows any given person that they are kind of small <laughs> exactly yeah. and but but the thing is and i think this is the be- one of the beautiful wisdoms of calvin and hobbes is if you don't have the uh, emotional uh, maturity to actually address the fact learn that lesson you're going to be the world is just going to keep teaching that lesson over and over again until you figure it out well or (laughs) you could be a comic like calvin and never figure well no no but that's what i mean like that's the joke right is that he never figures it out but like 
you're gonna have a shitty life <laughs> if you don't figure that that lesson out. Yeah, that's out. something that's so it's never really addressed in the comics because the again the point of a comic is to make you laugh. But like Calvin, if Calvin was a real person that had to live with the consequences of his decisions, he would have no friends ever and would be so detached from anything like from society like he's just so alienating to other people well funny enough he doesn't have any friends besides his imaginary friend (laughs) but i think well it doesn't affect him in the comic like i think it would affect him in real life yes right as he got older and grew well it'd be a lonely existence he's you know what he is he's a kid who it's a 10-year comic run of someone who's who never gets socialized yeah, yeah, that's exactly what. <laughs> and it so is. he's just always breaching social norms because of his imagination and his desire, and it's like it's a beautiful train wreck a lot of the time for him. You know, quote: "This is when Mo, the bully, had beaten him up. I keep forgetting the rules are for nice people, <laughs> which is um, at like any good joke, it makes you laugh and then makes you think, and it makes me think a little bit of this idea that I've come across where concessions are made." for people who are willing to complain more or be more aggressive or who feel they have a grievance or are grieved or above the rules. And so the only people who don't break the rules are, I guess, the people who wouldn't break them if there weren't rules either or like would follow the norm, let's say. Well, I think, yeah, it's norm creating, right? And actually this goes back to our discussion of crime and punishment, right? Because if there's a difference between the extraordinary and the ordinary and the kind of person who thinks that they're extraordinary is going to be more likely to break the rules anyway. I don't know if Mo is the no, best example. I know what you're saying, yeah. but it's just funny to think of like Mo thinking he's Mo, Mo suddenly like some troubled Russian. Well, Mo is much student. more just like a, a hedonistic, I think sixth grader who Mo wants is, whatever he wants. Mo is just the, you know, bully. He's like yeah, the, he's the a bully. archetype of a bully. But what I mean more about that is I think you're completely right, but I think the social norms are in place to tell the nice people what to do, right? Because if you're not told that this is the way you should live, you might end up in a situation. Anarchy can be very scary, right? Because it's, you know, yeah, brutish, it's brutish and short. Like, you're not going to, funny enough, Hobbes, right? <laughs> but uh, you're not going to survive the state of nature if there aren't rules that are protecting most people from most people. Yeah. And just the unfairness when you see someone not. And like, how do you enforce that? Like that's a, that's like a perennial problem for a society is how to stay ahead of and properly be dealing out, doling out justice to people who don't care about the rules. Right. Yeah. Well, and how to protect people who do keep the rules from people who don't keep the rules and in calvin's case protecting the people who antagonize the people who don't care about the rules (laughs) exactly (laughs) yeah great nuggets of wisdom from calvin and hobbes childhood is short and maturity is forever (laughs) yeah that's a good way to put it so another great little thing too is that there's a big panel where he's gonna get a beanie which in American parlance is kind of like a, a hat with the spinny propeller. Oh, right. Yes, yes. I think it's also as a toque, <laughs> we would say up here. I think they call toque. beanies toques down there. No, or no, toque that we call beanies toques. No, no, no. They call toques beanies. Beanies. Okay. <laughs> but in Calvin's case, but, uh, the beanie the is beanies different. The propeller hat, yeah. right? And he's 
like his imagination, he spends all this time like thinking of like, oh man, my beanie, I'm going to fly through the air. And when he finally gets it, it's like 20 different pieces, batteries not included. It's like crappy. And then as soon as he tries to put it together, it breaks. And it's like, man, he spends like all of these panels of getting an expectation. They're just dashed. I was like, wow, perfect. Oh, like, that is, is perfect. learning <laughs> is like Realize, tempering yeah. expectations. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think we talked about it in another podcast, but one of the truest truisms that I've ever come across is you know, happiness is expectations minus reality yeah so if your if your expectations are higher than reality you're always going to be at a at a deficit of happiness Mm -hmm. another great line he's like it's only work if someone makes you do it (laughs) and it made me think of yeah like it's kind of how i feel too about things that are like i have no problem following a social norm that i think is intelligent or wealth or like uh, (laughs) for has a good utilitarian calculus to it or something like that i never want to do the thing the person around me doesn't want me to do until they say hey you can't do this it's like the same idea like hey you have to do this even if it's something i want to do i don't want to do it if someone's telling me i have to right unless it's like you know your job or something i guess even when you're telling yourself you have to do something it's a lot worse than if you're just like oh i want to go do this yeah but if it comes from the wellspring of your own mind you know, it's just joy, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't think you and I would get the same satisfaction out of this podcast if someone says, "Hey, you gotta go do this now." Yeah, this is right? your this is your thing you have to do every week. Like and... if it's top down, it's not a joy centered activity. But because it's like, "Hey, when should we do this?" Oh, this works. Yeah, let's do it. It's like bottom up. Exactly. Wellspring. Yeah. So Calvin is also very socially aware. <laughs> That's another one of the running jokes. I love the culture of victimhood. <laughs> he always, he, he's got another great line too. Like, I think it's around the same thing where he says, I refused to, to be victimized by notions of virtuous behavior. <laughs> you know, like yeah. he's just self-pity, poor me. Hey, don't make me feel bad by doing a good thing, and thus demonstrating I'm not doing the good thing, right? <laughs> and this is what I mean about, about Watterson is sat- satirist. Because he gives Calvin the most bald-faced absurd version of something like victimhood culture or not wanting someone else to do something because it makes you look bad when you just say it it's absurd and yet calvin has no problem saying it and i love that when he says like i love the culture of victimhood i'm a victim therefore it's better for me yeah it's better for me is that it's very it's very clearly putting out onto the table the a potential underhanded motive a person could have to want to be a victim. Calvin is no victim Cal- Cal- in I any think way. Calvin <laughs> is consciously expressing something that often happens subconsciously for people, right? Like in, in the case of the of the quote you just did with victimhood, I think a lot of people have now realize that being a victim or displaying the qualities of a victim can get them sympathy. So it gives them an emotion that they want that they desire. But none of this, a lot of this, I don't think is happening consciously for people. Yeah. But what I love is what, like you said, satire brings the subconscious into the conscious and yeah. shows us the absurdity of ourselves. Of right? course. Well, because what it does is like, I mean, like I just, Calvin is nobody's victim, right? Like he is an affluent, he's from an, like a middle class family. He's he's an only child. He's got all of his, like he's got real, no, no real problem kind of thing, right? And yet, there's always food on the table. Yeah, they never seem to be struggling. Exactly. And yet, well, we never do. We ever really figure out what his dad does? He's a lawyer, I think. Oh, yeah. Okay. And so, 
Calvin has all of these not real grievances against the world. But grievances that would be really real to a six-year-old. I suppose, yes. But the, the, the satire is that because he puts it consciously, it shows that there is a danger, I guess, in making a making the marketplace of victimhood high value. Yes. Right? Yes. Where if you get tons of press coverage and lots of sympathy from... If it becomes valuable to be a victim in terms of some sort of like social reward system, you're going to start incentivizing people to make those claims. And you'll incentivize people to create categories that have been victimized yes. too. Now, which, which now don't course, always need there's arguments. the flip side of this, right? right? Which is that we don't want to to live in a situation in which real victims are not being people aren't experiencing sympathy for them. But I'm right. you're right. When you incentivize victimhood, now suddenly you've created a culture you flipped everything that matters on its head, I think. Yeah, I mean, setting aside the argument of what what do you think of a person who cynically utilizes or adapts themselves to a, a a train like real victims to get sympathy, right? Like, yeah, that's perfectly ugly in its own right. The much deeper tragedy of that is that if you start making it popular to be a victim, you are going to saturate the market and then you're going to inevitably overlook people who are true victims. And you and you'll also desen- really suffered. And you'll desensitize society to people claiming victimhood because there's going to be a large group of people who who kind of look at people who claim victimhood and say was it really that bad? Yeah. And now I've heard this story a hundred times yeah. already, and these a couple of those people I saw driving away in a Cadillac or something. Well, at the end well and this and this goes back to the idea of life being suffering, right? Yeah. And 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 knowing that we're all going to suffer tragedies and pain and and a lot of things that we don't want to happen to ourselves are going to happen. In fact, that's inevitable. And one of the things that I've always found really strange is when people utilize their tragedy to gain superiority in a situation because nobody wants to be around those people nobody wants to be around the people like well who cares because this thing happened to me yeah right and a lot of victims of really serious things are often not the ones trumpeting it from the tower in the calvin way yes (laughs) right exactly I guess maybe that's like a good way to think about it is that where there is cacophony, there probably isn't sincerity. <laughs> yes. Yeah. If it really traumatized you and destroyed you, you're probably not going to want to talk about it all the time. And I think the only reason you would want to talk about it all the time, and, and this is a fair point, is when people, when you're trying to help other people not suffer that same thing. Yes. And so, I, but you're going to know the, the people that are sincere about that and the people that are utilizing that, right? And, this is, I think, this is just kind of what Watterson does, is that he puts the opposite opinion of his own in Calvin's mouth and then takes it to the extreme to show its absurd logical conclusion, where, you know, Calvin walks around and says, hey, I'm a victim. Feel sorry for me. You know, I have to go to bed early. <laughs> like, you know? Oh. <laughs> like, if you, it's like anything. Any category that you widen and allow more examples of that category, you eventually dilute the meaning. And if if something like a survivor of an assault 
is a victim and someone who has to go to bed early is a victim. Well, you've you've made the word irrelevant, I think. Well, right? yeah, you've often said to me, and I think it's very true, words lose their meaning when they mean too much. Yes. So that's kind of the joke being poked, poked at there by Watterson. Here's another perfect example of a Calvin joke, okay? Middle of the night, 2 a.m., screaming, Mom! Mom! Like, there's just two panels of, like, Mom! Like, as if he's, like, having a medical emergency or there's, like, there's an intruder in the house or something like that, and his mom comes running in, like, what's the matter? What's the matter? What's the matter? And he says, do you think love is nothing but a biochemical reaction designed to make sure our species gets passed on? Then, you know, of course, his mom says, like, you woke me up at 2 a.m. in the morning to ask me that. And then the last panel is, I can't remember it verbatim, but the joke is basically like, why does mom only want me to learn on her schedule? <laughs> and, and Hobbes has some other wisecrack where it's like. Um, something about parents. Yeah, it's like, know. maybe she thought it wasn't the most important question right now or something like <laughs> yeah, that. Right? Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's funny how, you know, that just that juxtaposition Watterson uses between a normal human day like or night in this case a, a normal human activity like and then some existential crisis yeah, that, yeah. that is going on for calvin at that very moment and then he's got another great line where calvin says you know how people are they only recognize greatness when authority confirms it <laughs> i feel like we can <laughs> yeah <laughs> leave that just in there let that one hang in the that air. one's not too <laughs> uh difficult to understand what it means i'm sure we've all had experiences with that here's a great one hobbs has said to calvin maybe not everyone is will be interested in this activity we're doing. And Calvin says, that's inconceivable. Who wouldn't be interested in everything we do? And it betrays, <laughs> and I think we've talked about this before, but Calvin is a perfect solipsist. Yes. Like he can't imagine what it's like to not be him and not have the world centered around him and not have everyone else know that too. Like he is completely unaware of his own ego, I think. Well, no, actually, like you said earlier, there's this tinges of conscience that he gets where he's like, oh, maybe I... Maybe I should listen to that. But again, it's should I should listen to it. I, I, I. Yeah. Like if you read, Calvin is almost always referring to himself and always talking about himself and his own desires. Like it is very rare, though it does happen, only it seems for Hobbes and like very, very rarely for his parents that he thinks about anyone but himself, including in almost all of his interactions with Hobbes, who's supposedly his best friend. Yeah, it's true. And I think... We probably mentioned this before, but what's super important to remember about Calvin and Hobbes is that you don't like you shouldn't look at Calvin in the same way you would look at a character in a movie or a TV show or even a book, because the point of Calvin is not so much like his growth or lack thereof or his like connecting tissue of his personality. What that is for is for humor. What is important about calvin is that he is the mouthpiece for watterson's kind of critique humor and social critique yeah which is funny because calvin learns nothing calvin is probably the character you could most compare him to is probably the homer simpson because homer simpson never learns right he's he's bumbly and he like calvin's smarter than homer but I just mean in a more abstract sense, whereas Homer Simpson is probably, I don't know, there's going to be people who know way more about The Simpsons than me listening to this. Homer Simpson isn't, I think, best conceptualized as a character arc type of character. He's best conceptualized as a mouthpiece of a certain critique and a certain humor and a certain 
view of the world that is absurdist so that it's actually more it's more like in a weird way it's more like the creator or the writer getting to say what they think through another character and that's kind of how i see calvin too i think this is kind of like uh, a genre thing right because I i agree with you and i think south park's the same the interest is not actually in the characters the characters are static Calvin's pretty static. You you kind of like if you know who Calvin is, you know how he's going to react to something. Generally speaking, you're not you're not surprised by Calvin very often. You're not surprised by Cartman very often, and you're you're certainly not surprised by Homer very often. Yeah, I mean, this is a little bit off the topic, off the bat. I'm much more familiar with South Park than I am with The Simpsons, but with Cartman, I think you get like he does grow in his psychopathy. He gets like, worse. Yeah, as the yeah. seasons go on, and I can't, I can't quite. I don't think Homer gets dumber, or I don't think Homer gets I worse. Guess Kelvin doesn't get worse yeah. either. And part of that might be because it's really hard to keep in mind Calvin's progression through the comic books because he's doing so many different things. Whereas, like, if you think about it, over three thousand different panels. Like, imagine if there was. 3,000 episodes of South Park that you had to keep track of what Cartman was doing. Yeah. Like, it'd be a lot harder, right? Obviously, you couldn't make that. No. So, one of my... I think I've mentioned this before, but one of my best friends is a comic book artist, and he once told me that um, there's something you can do. You can do different things in different mediums, and you can tell stories in different ways. And the best artists, whether that be authors or graphic artists or directors utilize their the thing that only their medium can do yeah and i think what we see watterson doing here is utilizing what only a comic book medium can do to express a critique and a criticism but also a joy through obviously drawing but also through this character like you said of calvin who is a absurdity mm-hmm. in order to remind us of where where an abs- where a bad idea can go. Yes, but not <laughs> only where a bad idea can go, but to remind us of the absurdity of our sometimes our own thoughts and well, because there are definitely things Calvin does and says that are small time reminders of things I've thought and said. Right, exactly. <laughs> and exactly. then when you put the interpretation that Watterson often does of the absurdist conclusion to that, you're like, oh yeah, maybe I dodged a bullet by ironically, <laughs> learning from Calvin's mistake instead of my own. Yes, yes. <laughs> Which he can never do. Which he doesn't seem to be capable of. This is another great line. When in doubt, deny all terms and definitions. <laughs> so he cynically enjoys the sophistry yeah, of the yeah. world, you know? <laughs> it's like my least favorite thing when people are getting in an argument. They're like, well, we have to define the word. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, so. yeah. I mean, I would only ever say that if it seems to me that like, I think people in good faith can be using a term or a word in a different sense than someone else, right? Oh, yes. Like, no, you can have I a conversation where... But like, usually you're not going to start it off that way, right? No, but your intuition and visceral attachment to the meaning of a word could be a slightly different than the other person using it, which, again, is a, a really interesting theory developed by Richard Rorty in his book... Irony, solidarity, contingency, I think, something like that. And he talks about how humans don't actually have a final vocabulary with each other. 
No. But we have a pragmatic final enough category. How how could we have a final vocabulary, right? Yeah. Well, and it's so great for Calvin and Hobbes because the example used in the book by Rorty is when the kid says, there's monsters under the bed. And the parent says, no, they're not. No, there isn't. They're not using the same word. They the don't same mean the same monster thing. Monster isn't meaning the same. You know, for the parent, it's, you know, like some <laughs> ugly looking creature that wants to do you harm. Where for a kid, it's probably more something like uncertainty and un- what is that light? My brain is playing tricks on me. I'm little scared, and feeling yeah. alone and scared. And so I don't really know how to articulate all that. So that all comes together in the. The abstract becomes tangible in the concept of the monster. What's that yeah. noise outside the window? What's that? If you don't, if, when you're a child, I mean, I'm sure you can all remember what it was like to be scared of the dark. And why that's like a perfect example for Calvin and Hobbes is one of the great running gags of the strip is the monsters under Calvin's bed who want to eat him. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and are working so, very hard to do so. But just in the line of when in doubt, denial terms and definitions, what is great about that again is Calvin. Calvin is like, intentionally cynical so it's not even just hey we're using a word differently and we need to solve that problem before we move on because otherwise we're going to be at cross purposes and not really understand no, he each other he wants to do it on purpose <laughs> yeah right yeah. which is many degrees worse <laughs> um, well, one, one is looking for commonality one's looking for uh, one has a desire to communicate yeah. and to be on the same page and the other is chaos yeah. and like that's the thing about calvin he's a chaos summer. well yeah and 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 what he's talking about there is intentionally acting in bad faith yes not exactly like Giving forth an argument that isn't true to your heart, but Which for I think some other motive. Calvin does a lot. <laughs> yes, it is, but it's again magnified in the absurdest way to show why that would be something that you would look down your nose on and say, "Hey, like, yeah. why, it, why are you? Yeah, why are you being like that?" Calvin? When, 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 or like, um, just the feeling you get when you think someone is acting in bad faith, presenting something that they don't actually think for some ulterior motive, or not purposefully not understanding a word in the sense you mean it just as yeah, opposed just to, to accidentally argue. yeah exactly <laughs> right exactly this is his take on talk radio imagine getting paid to talk like a six-year-old <laughs> uh, but there are some beautiful things that calvin says some really beautiful things that he says it's not summer if your tongue isn't purple <laughs> Wait, or yep. if your knees aren't green by the end of the day you ought to seriously re-examine your life <laughs> after coming in from playing outside on a summer day or something yeah which is yeah. again more of the love letter to play and fun that is one of the beautiful parts of calvin hobbs on his crayons having been worn down and not really usable sometimes life feels unbearably tragic <laughs> <laughs> You know, and I love that. Like taking something so mundane. This is what Calvin Hobbes does well. This comic strip is amazing at this. Take something really mundane and normal and putting the most existential spin on it. And and it's beautiful. I think that's what I love most about the comic. Um, He says, it's hard to be mad at someone who misses you when you sleep. (laughs) He's talking about Hobbes, right? And when they're going down, he's talking about, you know, this wagon ride. In the short term, it's fun. In the long term, I should be studying for my test. But in the very long term, I want to be making good memories. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I yeah. like that. Like, it's not short term or long term. It's like very long term. I think we've talked about this, like, pay attention to the little things. Because when you're old, you'll realize they were the big things. Yep. And it's not a bad heuristic. The short term, the long term, and the very long term. Well, it's like that right? that old uh, 10, 10, 10 rule, right? Yeah. Will you care about this in 10 minutes? Will you care about it in 10 months? Will you care about it in 10 years? Yeah, but I think 
I don't know. Maybe there's something about actually giving it a numeric value that makes it feel less beautiful. Ah, uh, probably. Right? Yeah. Whereas saying it like short term, long term, and very long term seems to have a more there's a poetic, mysticism to it. Yeah, yeah and yeah. A, a poetic little tinge to it that I like. You know. Uh, and then the very last comic ever, it's a magical world, Hobbs old buddy. Let's go exploring, yeah. which is the perfect, perfect ending to a perfect comic strip, and that is Calvin. And so then that brings us to Hobbs, uh, my favorite character in the strip for sure. He is. Um, I find Hobbs to be a perfect marriage of rationality, humor, passion, and joy. He's. And self-confidence. Yeah. Whereas Calvin, though he's always aggrandizing, does not seem to have a lot of confidence. (laughs) Once he thinks about it, he doesn't. But Hobbes is like confident. He's like, I'm a tiger. (laughs) Well, where Calvin feels impetuous, Hobbes feels calculated or um, thoughtful, maybe is a better way to put it. Like, Hobbes doesn't seem to do anything he doesn't mean to do, but he still wants to do a lot of fun things. Yes, but, like, he has an identity in which he like he has an internal locus of control. He's not often impacted by external events to no. like on an emotional level. And yet he still finds himself in the midst of the shenanigan. Like, he's, he's game. Like he's a very game friend, yes, right? Like he's, he's, like he's game to do anything. Yeah. yeah, and and that's like he's so game for Calvin's shenanigans that there are several panels where the joke is Hobbes not being game yes. to do it. Like yes, it's such yes. a surprise <laughs> to the audience where Hobbes doesn't want to do or like just quits doing the thing that Calvin's doing. That because you're like aware enough of the style <laughs> of Calvin and Hobbes, you're like, oh, that's funny. Like because why would Hobbes ever do any of the things if he's going to not do this one? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so exactly. a lot of the humor is that misdirection. And that's, and that's very much a, a fan service thing too, right? Yes. It's like you wouldn't get those jokes if you hadn't been reading Calvin and Hobbes and understood that, you know, usually he is game. Yeah. Which I think like just that in itself is such a deep attribute of a friend, someone who's just game to do the things with you that you suggest. And it's not that they're not aware of the risks and the dangers, because that's kind of what Hobbes does all the time is the risks and the dangers. But it's that they kind of have a like they have a little internal calculus where they weigh the cost and the benefit. And they're aware of all the potential costs, but the potential benefit is really great. So they go for it because they're actually still motivated to do the fun thing. And, like that, and, and that motivation seems to be they just really like being around and with and you yeah it's not always easy to see what hobbs gets out of the friendship well i mean <laughs> i mean theoretically he's just a figment of Calvin's yeah. imagination i mean i guess yeah and one one interpretation of calvin and hobbs he gets to exist is that yeah is that hobbs is just the part of calvin's brain that is socialized i guess or the right. part that is yeah. civilized or rational like the rational hedonist or the rational fun-loving person or how about this one the rational passionate right Right, right. and that sounds like an oxymoron i would say it's not because i think you can have very thought out rationalized and reasons to want to have a passionate fun joy-filled life yes right yes here's a great example one of the (laughs) 
I guess, memes of the world that makes me roll my eyes is love isn't rational. And I'm like, oh, really? Are you telling me it's not rational to want to be around someone who wants to cheer you up when you're feeling down, wants to scratch your back, wants to tell you a joke, uh, wants, wants to, to see you smile, wants to see you smile, wants to help you through the dark nights of the soul, wants to be frivolous with you in frivolous moments, and wants to be serious with you in serious moments, wants to hold your hand when you're out together, wants to give you a hug, and loves the great like enjoys the great parts about you and helps you improve on the things about you that you would want to improve if you were in your most rational mode. so all of that all of those things i just discovered it's not rational to want those because to me that's kind of what love is like all of those things constitute the path of love and so when i hear oh love's not rational i'm like i think you'd have to be the most insane person in the world to not want that yeah right or you'd have to be some kind of psychopath or sure but i mean like i think it's glib to just say things like love is irrational yeah love is irrational or like you can't help who you love kind of thing obviously there's like a grain of truth to that because you can't help what things about someone you are attracted to or enjoy i actually have a theory on this that particularly which is that when they say you can't you can't choose who you love I think a large part of that is you you can choose to love lots of people, but they're not going to necessarily <laughs> love you back. So yes. you don't really get to choose who you love. In you the don't sense. get to choose who loves you back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and usually that's what, you know, if you dig deep into that question, the question is, are they going to love me back? Because mm. who cares if you love? Like unrequited love is not beautiful. No. And, and do you have enough things about you that are attractive to this other person? Yeah, exactly. And so what I think waterson does so well with Hobbes is the beautiful fusion of the rational and the passionate or you might even say like if you want to put it in Nietzschean terms like the Apollo and the Dionysus like the reasoned yeah. rational side of our brains and the fun-loving bacchanalia let's party side of our brain and like Hobbes is just a great modern iteration of that, I think. Yeah. Or would you say the rational and the passionate, or maybe we could say the rational and the fun loving? Yes. Right. I mean, sure. I, I I like the word passion, but I think when we think about Hobbes, it's fun loving. Like one of my favorite. When engaged panels. in his fun loving activities, he's very passionate about them. Right. Right. That's so a that's, good way of putting it. Yeah. yeah. Because one of my favorite things that Hobbes does is when he waits for uh, Calvin to come home. And he's like waiting to just attack him and pounce on him. And like that is like such a a calculated and I mean, you're preparing to do something like it's like a good practical joke. Right. Like, I, I feel like if Hobbes was a person, he'd be a great practical joke. Oh, one of the best. <laughs> like, he's very thoughtful. Yeah. Right. This is the thing. Hobbes is very keenly aware. Hobbes knows the audience's reaction to Calvin's shenanigans. Like this is Hobbes is the the self-aware. He's or he's the, the grounded character in the absurd universe, right? Now he's not breaking the fourth wall, but like he's well, kind of Well, not exactly. I actually have something wall. about that. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, well, hold on. Yeah, it's so, more it's more subtle than that. But but like he's calculating this, but he's doing it cuz he just loves Calvin's reaction. And, yes. Like, the thing is Calvin kind of pretends like he absolutely hates that this is happening, but he's always like preparing for it yeah. and like wondering if it's going to happen and like 
who doesn't want to be welcomed home like <laughs> by that? a homicidal jungle cat? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Who doesn't want to be welcomed home by a homicidal jo- jungle? Well, I cat? mean, the joke that that trope of the joke gets so well played in Calvin and Hobbes that it's funny when you know Calvin convinces Susie to go to the door and get jumped by Hobbes, and Hobbes doesn't, and then. And then Calvin says, what, where is he? And then he attacks Calvin and Calvin says something like, what, do you wait to see my eyes? And, and he Hobbes says, you should see how big they were. <laughs> you know, things like that. Yes, right? exactly. So yeah, it is. It's like Hobbes is so clinical in his ability to plan, but he's planning to do things that are just silly. Yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. So then I think what I love is Hobbes is, um, he's just the great diffuser to Calvin's diatribes, right? So there's one panel. Calvin is just so mad that there isn't enough snow yet. And he spends three whole panels complaining about how it's not enough snow. It's not enough snow for a snow day. It's not enough snow for a sled, but it's enough snow to be cold and wet and mushy. Or like, not exactly mushy, but like not for anything that is fun for a winter activity. Can't make snowmen yet, right? It doesn't pack well. And then this is another perfect encapsulation of a, of a Hobbes moment where Hobbes says, well, it's pretty. <laughs> <laughs> and Calvin is just frustrated with Hobbes because also like Hobbes, what it is is a different paradigm. Hobbes, right? Hobbes gives a different paradigm, which is more, I guess, kind of holistic to everything around them and their environment, and not just Calvin's selfishness. And 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 also he's an optimist. I feel like Hobbes is the perennial optimist. He's always coming up with ways of looking at the situation that are more positive than because yeah. Calvin is the perennial pessimist almost or the Calvin's kind of uh manic right like he'll go from like this is the best thing it's ever, hard to I'm know so which ha- adjective best describes Calvin yeah I mean it's impossible <laughs> there's so I, many I don't think you can but like but Hobbes is consistently optimistic like it's very rare that you, we have a sad Hobbes yes no um Hobbes is I guess his emotions are happy angry and hungry <laughs> yeah hungry is a or frustrated a he's a little frustrated sometimes with calvin but that's more like when he's hungry yeah. <laughs> i think he and and like calvin can push him over the edge to being yeah. like there's a few he's but I, but again like what's so great about hobbs is that a lot of the jokes where hobbs is out of character like that's the point of the joke because it subverts our expectations of what we expect out of hobbs yes yes so yeah like that's a completely different thing where Watterson respects his audience, where he subverts their own expectations about the characters enough that it's like they're consistent enough that when they're not, it's funny yeah. as opposed to like haphazard. Yeah. You know, it's intentional. It's not because, random. Yes. It just as an aside, like artistically and narratively it's over, you know, it's 3000 plus panels and yet it's so tight. Like it's somehow oh, yeah. so tight with the characters being there's, so predictable I, I don't that, think that when they they're ever not, really, he doesn't really drop it. No, like there's no. not a moment where you're like, oh, that one you, you kind of failed there. Like there are some that are funnier than others. Yeah, but like it's always or consistent. even more memorable. Yes, but never dipping below a particular. There's a standard that yeah. he has for himself. I think uh, this is kind of it would be how I feel about my favorite band, Jimmy World. Where post fame Bleed American came out, they haven't put out a bad album, even though some are better than others. <laughs> yes, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like almost a victim of their own success. <laughs> where <laughs> well, that, a, that a seven out of ten album for Jimmy Eat World is a bit of a disappointment. 
because they've had you know four albums that i think are nine out of ten yeah (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely absolutely so anyway but here is a perfect hobbsism or hobbsianism i guess from the calvin hobbs after one of calvin's many diatribes uh hobbs says i had resolved to be less offended by human nature so they were talking about resolutions for the new year right and calvin's just like i resolved to stay the same and everyone can change to me blah 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 And Hobbes says, I had resolved to be less offended by human nature, but I think I blew it already. (laughs) (laughs) That's also one of the best tropes is like, well, Hobbes is an animal, not a person. So he's looking at he's like a higher plane of very, existence. Yeah, he's he's very looking at things from the from nat- mother nature's point of view and being like, right, humans are absurd. <laughs> yeah, what's your problem? Why Even can't you're you my exist best friend in, in, in equilibrium with all of us? Uh, yeah, like one of the good tropey jokes is that he often has very practical answers to Calvin's existential questions. Calvin will be like, "Well, why are we here?" and uh, Hobbes will be like, well, to eat food. To eat food, and we got here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, we walked here. <laughs> what are yeah. you talking about? Here's another great little joke, he says, because Calvin's like, we need a new attitude. We need something cool. We need a new fad. And Hobbes says, we could be courteously deferential. <laughs> now, here's another really good Hobbes. Like, when we talked about how he gets, one of the jokes is Hobbes is always hungry at night or angry. And so he says, like and this is something he says with like his fangs bared and ready to like hurt Calvin in you know the jokey ways that he does he says some people don't sleep well next to a hungry tiger <laughs> and then and Calvin and becomes the very, very worried the very next panel is Calvin <laughs> making a tuna fish sandwich because established in the very first panel tigers love tuna fish sandwiches and we're kind of stupid that way <laughs> you know and then Hobbes says in a total monotone, like normal face voice, more tuna and less mayonnaise, please. <laughs> right. And yes. so it's like this great contrast in Calvin Hobbes between Hobbes's threats and then the mu- mundaneness of his uh, request. <laughs> right? he's, yeah. He's threatening for very small like, things. Yeah. Like it's so funny. So much of what Hobbes want, like the humor is Hobbes very aggressively gets his way for very mundane goals whereas <laughs> it know? seems that calvin never gets his way for yeah. his mundane for his lofty goals, goals. yeah <laughs> Even, right? lofty too yeah and he's always observing calvin not practicing what he preaches one of the things that watterson through hobbs often does is very implicitly and subtly breaks the fourth wall where calvin's behavior is manifestly apparent to the reader to us reading like we're like what is this like this kid is so so unself-aware And I think Hobbes acts as, I mean, we've talked about this before, like the sane character in an absurdist show, uh, Stan and Kyle in South Park. But even more than that, Hobbes is acting as the tip of the hat to the audience of like, yes, I know know what I'm doing. You know what I mean? And I love it because it's not, there's no, I can't think of a single panel in in Calvin Hobbes where it's an actual fourth wall break. No, I don't think there right? ever, there ever is. Yeah. But what would even be the right term? Like obvious implicit implicity, like unambiguous subtlety. Right. Maybe is the best way to put. Like it's you could not read Calvin and Hobbes and come away with it not thinking, okay, Watterson knows exactly what he's doing every single time and he knows exactly what he's saying every single time. Whether you agree with it or not, it's not like he 
is ignorant of his message in it. No, right? no, exactly. And yet, there isn't a single time where it's done explicitly. I think the artistry of Watterson in everything that he does with Calvin and Hobbes is there's an excellence that he expects of himself, but there's also a full understanding that he's in a relationship with the audience and that the audience needs something from what he's producing. And what I love about him is that he is holding his audience to a high standard. Yeah, yeah, right? he, he's not uh, talking down to his audience at all. In fact, a lot of what you just described, I think you could read Calvin and Hobbes and never realize that's happening. You could just be enjoying the comic and never realize that you're having a conversation with Watterson and that he's very, in, in many nuanced ways, communicating thoughts to you that he knows exactly what he's doing, like you said. Like, when he has Calvin doing this and then he has Hobbes do something else, it's like a flag where he's waving to you being like, hey, I'm here and I know what I'm doing. But you can read the whole comic like we did when we were young and have no clue that that's happening. We're just enjoying the imagination of Calvin and the relationship he has with Hobbes. So I think really great art can be interpreted on multiple levels. Yes. Oh, this is some of the best. And what is so kind of, I guess, the genius of Watterson is that he is at all times... It's always apparent from the way that Watterson writes that if he wanted to, he could verbally tear you a new one, right? Like he is clearly unbelievably intelligent and so well-read and well-spoken. Well, we don't know no. he's well-spoken. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's well-written, yes, yes. well-read, unbelievably intelligent. Like this is this is probably the perfect person for a debate my guess would be, or at least like a written one. His knowledge and his vocabulary and his ability to pick Situational history, understanding, yeah. yeah. It's second to none. So like if he had venom in his teeth, you'd be dead in a second. And yet he uses all of that talent in the pursuit of art and humor and creativity. So it's like he uses all of his powers for good for lack yeah. of a better term. Yeah. There doesn't seem to be evil in him. One of the things I thought about when at the very beginning of the podcast where you said it would kind of was universal. Everyone had Calvin and Hobbes in their house. He's also there's no vileness in it. There's no coarse like he's not cr- crass. Not really, no. There there's innuendo. Oh yes. There's, there's definitely innuendo. innuendo yeah. in there's it. innuendo, but there's, there's he's not crass. He's not like he has created art without. He, he would has, <laughs> he would very much disapprove of, disapprove of this podcast. Yeah, yeah, he probably would. We are definitely yeah. not subtle enough <laughs> no. for Watterson. <laughs> yeah, we we haven't reached the intellectual heights that he has probably come down now. Yeah. They'll say. <laughs> Great reference. <laughs> Thank you. I delivered that one by mail. <laughs> yeah, like. I think some of my favorite humorists, though I I absolutely appreciate South Park and I think I've expressed my my love of that side of humor, I am always in awe of people who can be hilarious, intelligent, right. and all of those things and produce nothing but art and yet produce the kind of art that anyone can enjoy. I know I know like radical Christians. Like I'm talking like puritanical as far as you can go, Christians who love Calvin and Hobbes. And I know like complete degenerates who love Calvin and Hobbes. And I that's art. <laughs> like to be able to communicate to two vastly dispersion groups 
it's it's incredible. So you love art that is hilarious and wholesome, um, and like the com- or comedy maybe. Yeah, comedy I just I, 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 I love the ability to communicate across a spectrum, right? And particularly in humor because I think humor is like one of the most important forms of communication. Right. Well, you must love the comedy of Bill Cosby then. Uh, I feel like it's been uh, somewhat corrupted. <laughs> oh, you you do feel that way, do you? Uh, okay, interesting, interesting. <laughs> I mean, that's you know, we don't have to go down that road, no, but no. it's just funny. Like a lot of his comedy no, yes, is yeah, that wholesome yes. nature. And well, um, Brian but, Regan is another right. example of someone I think uh, a highly undervalued comedian right. who is right. hilarious to everybody. Yeah. Well, and I mean, like obviously, <laughs> Bill Watterson is nothing like. Bill Cosby. No, no. <laughs> right? Like, no. apparently, I mean, we don't really know because Watterson doesn't do much media or we don't know a lot about his life, but, you know, married his high school sweetheart, family man, still married kind of thing, appears to just be like, for lack of a better term, a normal dude who wears Argyle sweaters and <laughs> but enjoys like a genius. autumn. Yeah. Like, I I love that. Uh, I had a, I have a friend, um, the same actually comic book artist friend, this when you were describing Watterson, I'm like, that's Evan, right? Like, I'm like, he is a genius, way smarter than I am. I'm not saying that I'm any level of a genius, but like, very, very smart, amazingly talented artist, and wholesome as they come, regular family guy, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. And I love the idea that there's people. This is maybe just a me rant, but I love the idea, and I think that this is what I love. What Watterson captures is that. There are regular people living regular lives who are living not regular lives. They're extraordinary people living extraordinary lives, but we just, from the outside, it looks regular. Sure. Yeah. Because, I mean, that would be Calvin and Hobbes. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's like, I think it looks regular, but it's extraordinary. It's like you said, a love letter to the imagination. But actually, there's T Rexes flying. Yeah, you know, Pop-pop. fighter jets. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, Which actually, is so perfect. there yeah. is amazing things going on. And so another thing, what I love about Hobbes is also the way that common sense cuts like a knife through butter satisfactorily to me, right? I mean, what like, you like about Hobbes? Hobbes' ability to use oh, yes. common sense to Calvin's absurdity is the panacea for me with my brain to if I were ever to come up against someone actually like Calvin in the world. And so a good encapsulation of that is when there's, you know, Calvin is sitting on the chair watching TV and just complaining about the show. And eventually he's like, you know what? I'm just going to exercise everything in my American right. I'm going to boycott this show, right? Like it's just terrible. And Hobbes says, why don't you just not watch the show? (laughs) You know, because it's not like Calvin has a, like a moral problem with the show. He just doesn't like it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like he it's just, just not, it's not well it's done. Not, it's not well done. It's not worth his time. He's going to boycott it. And he's like, why don't you just watch the show? And I'm like, yes, this is a good PSA to our culture today. If you don't like something, just ignore it. <laughs> just, if you find something offensive or annoying, just turn it off. Yeah. Like, or go focus you, you on what have, you, you like. You don't have to engage yeah. with it. Yeah. Now, I think... I find Justin Bieber extremely offensive. <laughs> I think that music should be listened to by nobody. You think it's offensive, eh? Well, like, I'm playing loosely with the oh, word right, okay. because of how it grinds my sensitivities and my sensibilities, right? I'm picking on Justin Bieber. 
my real beef is with dumbass thoughtless pop music i just don't listen to it i don't buy it i don't go to places where it's playing and i don't if it comes on the radio i change the channel i don't boycott justin bieber although i guess now we are like publicly dissing justin bieber <laughs> well he's a stand-in but I, I i was thinking about this actually uh just the other day like why is it that we have to make our outrage and our anger about something, some annoyance or injustice so vocally? And I think it's because a lot of people feel that they need purpose, they need meaning, and yeah. they need some crusade to be on. They need some, they need victories, they need notches in their belt. And they feel that if they take some person out for, you know, going against the orthodoxy of, of culture or whatever it might be, then they can then they can hold that scalp up and basically be like, look what I did. You know, yeah. look at who I took out. I made sure that they weren't allowed to be involved in in this fear or they lost their job or whatever it is. And I think that's largely because we've lost a common understanding of a purpose. Uh like what are we all striving towards as a culture? And and there's all these great stories about like the civil rights movement, like freeing an entire race from basically discrimination to some degree. I think what Calvin and Hobbes encapsulates is, and why I love one of the reasons I love Calvin and Hobbes is like openly talking about everything. Like Calvin and Hobbes talk about every idea under the sun, and they don't really care whether it's offensive or not. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's hard to gauge what... There probably isn't a lot in Calvin and Hobbes that would set people on outrage today on the internet, but there's probably some. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. I, there's always going to be something, right? Yeah. Maybe we could talk about Calvin's treatment of Susie. Yeah. People could lose their minds about that. Well, she, yeah, I guess so, but she stands up for herself pretty well. I think <laughs> That's true. a lot That's of the true. time as well. Like, she, she gives out... Susie gives to Calvin just as good as she gets. Probably if better. Not better. She usually right? gets usually gets the better of him. I mean, he's just gross and whiny, and she's <laughs> tough and, and smart, forthright. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But so what you're describing, you know, the call out culture, which I think Jonathan Haidt has really well documented and talked about. The uh, I believe he's a social psychologist from NYU. The uh, like a more underlying impulse, I guess is what with with call out culture or with this idea of finding a scapegoat or finding someone to blame is as you probably know out there in listener world i am a very much indebted to the intellectual and debating skills of christopher hitchens and one of the one of the most crucial things that I found through him was his ability to pay attention to the psychological attachments to our arguments that we have. And one of them he says is that the search for blame is actually just the search for meaning. When something, yeah, yeah, when, I think that's when, what I'm saying. Yeah, when something happens in the world, the most intolerable answer to people, I think, is it just random and no purpose. That option is too painful to feel like, your suffering is meaningless in some grand cosmic Camus sense. And so Calvin suffering exact... in some sense through his annoyance with the TV show to think Calvin lives in a universe where the, he doesn't matter and the TV show doesn't matter 
and that it's irrelevant and it's going to pass through time and fade to dust and ashes anyway. Like there's something so intolerable to him about that at probably a subconscious level that to get at it is important. And I think what Hobbes is just pointing out is that, you know, the world is full of other things that you like. You don't have to let the things you don't like dictate your attention and perception and psychology. Yeah. And the only thing I was going to add, the reason I was going into like the civil rights movement and things like that was because I think there does come a time where we have to look at, well, is there actual injustice being done? And that's a really hard line to walk. Are people actually being treated in a way they shouldn't be? And how much does one person's rights trump another person's right? Because here's a big problem. When two people's rights conflict. Yeah, that's a tragedy in the Hegelian sense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But going back to the blame thing, scientific progress goes boink yes right and we have suddenly he's reproducing himself yeah the trans transmogrifier or something (laughs) like that where he creates duplicates of himself exactly and suddenly he's having to he being calvin yeah sorry calvin is having to to organize all of them and he's exhausted and he's like why would you do that we're gonna get in so much trouble for that and like he has to like put out blame on different people and tasks some of them have to go to school yeah but they're all him right and the biggest problem that he faces is they all want to live like he does yeah and none of them want which he finds intolerable (laughs) that's a funny connection there hey where the person in south park the person cartman hates the most is cartman yeah in his time travel episode and in calvin hobbs the person calvin finds most intolerable is just him he's a, a complete and utter duplicate of himself and i think it's going back to blame it's like they all start blaming one another remember they're, right, they're all yeah. pointing at each other and like you're the reason that that we're getting in trouble no you're the reason and, and metaphysics aside of who is calvin well, really right <laughs> Right, yeah. Like, that doesn't matter here. <laughs> That's not important in this particular context. But it's like that level of imagination, but also that level of understanding of human nature where we want to blame others. And then suddenly when when confronted by the fact, and even if we could duplicate ourselves, because like here's the basic human idea that I think is being confronted here. You're like, well, if everyone was just like me, things would be so much better. And then suddenly when everyone's just like you, you find it intolerable. Right. And I love that because that opens us up to a way better and more important existential idea, I think, of difference is important. Yeah, well, things like emotional, intellectual, sense of humor, diversity is what actually makes life fun. Yeah. Right? When you're you're surprised. Yeah, exactly. When you're surprised. This is actually like kind of a definition I have for humor is that humor is when you get a rush of joy because someone did something you didn't expect in a way that was positive. Like you just didn't see that line coming and it surprised you a bit, right? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. 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 Well, it's like when earlier in the podcast, I didn't think that's where I was going to (laughs) go where you were like a love letter to the imagination. I had not articulated those words, but it's, that's utterly what it is. Like, Let's go back and to... And you probably got a little rush of joy when you I heard did. it. Yeah. I did. And let's go back to the cardboard box. Right? Like, growing up, I loved cardboard boxes. And I would make castles out of them. And I would make spaceships out of them. And I would make any number of things out of these cardboard boxes. Boats. You know? Right. Because it wasn't because cardboard boxes are special. 
It's because the imagination is special. Of course, yeah. And that's <laughs> like, I mean, Calvin uses the cardboard boxes for so many different things. Time exactly. travel and <laughs> transmogrifying, yeah, yeah. duplicator, et cetera, right? There's a great little, another little nugget here that I love where there's a panel where Calvin says to Hobbes, hey, Hobbes, you could, if you could have anything you wish for, what would you want? Anything at all. And Hobbes says, I wish for a sandwich. And then Calvin's like, that's a terrible wish. I hate it. I would wish for a billion dollars. I would wish for a private plane, blah, blah, blah. Like all just these unattainable things that Calvin would want if he wished for. And then that last panel is Hobbes actually gets his wish. Like he actually gets a sandwich, right? He actually right? has a sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> his, his low stakes wish he gets. Well, it's that reality minus expectation. Or yeah. And, and expectation so, uh, minus reality thing. Well, it reminds me of the great philosopher Sheryl Crow when she says slash sings <laughs> it's not having what you want it's wanting what you got <laughs> you know and uh how Hobbes gets what he wants mm-hmm. because he wants what is in the house right? yes and I like just the deep wisdom of that is so great that it's just like you're bowled over by how often this happens in Calvin Hobbes these kind of wisdoms and the last one with Hobbes it's like one of the very last panels ever. I don't think it's – it's not the last one. I think it's like the, the third or the fourth last panel in Calvin Hobbes' history where he says, if good things lasted forever, how would we appreciate how precious they are? Hmm. And you know, yeah. I'll just leave that for there for Hobbes. I did make some notes about Calvin and Hobbes together because I think them acting and interplaying with each other has its own entity that's almost its own character that's well, we different. Haven't, we haven't talked about Calvin Ball yet. Yeah, well, I think don't worry. <laughs> One of the things I love is that they often fight over the esoteric rules of a not real sport. Like That's one <laughs> of the great, <laughs> great yes, tropes. Yes. Hobbes says things like, beauty is better together. You know, which is, again, the sentiment I got from the end of the movie Into the Wild. Happiness is best shared which I believe is true. One of the Christmas panels, Calvin forgets to give Hobbes a gift or it's like the whole family does. So he gives him a hug and says, this is your gift. And I think that's like the perfect encapsulation of what, I, when I think about Calvin and Hobbes, if it's not the humor, it's the heartfelt hug type, you yeah. know, or like oh, when and Calvin there, is it wraps sleeping you by the in fire, the warmth of, yeah, you know? exactly. Things are never as scary when you have a best friend. <laughs> which is just beautiful too now this is one of my favorite lines in all of calvin and hobbes um this is like it's in a panel but it's also the beginning like standalone section of weirdos from another planet i believe where calvin and hobbes are standing like out in the forest and there's a stump and there's a bunch of like trash all around and pop cans and stuff or beer cans i guess and he says sometimes i think the surest sign of intelligent life out there is that none of it has tried to contact us yeah. <laughs> Which, again, is like a joke in Calvin and Hobbes. And but... I wonder if, like, I've heard that before and, and you read it in Calvin and Hobbes. I think he may have came, come up with that. Yeah. Like, I think he that, that Watterson may have come up with that joke. Yeah. Or not joke, insight, yeah. really. <laughs> Which is, you know, I think um, now, like, almost a meme. Yeah. Oh, that's what I'm <laughs> right? saying. It's definitely a, everyone yeah. knows that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I shouldn't say everyone. But, like, that is, it's a very common trope. Uh, maybe we don't need enemies. Best friends are all I can take. <laughs> and I love that that's like, like again, I, I don't, I, I lack the time, attention span to like really truly lay out how much of life Watterson seems to have noticed. Where, man, you just imagine the times you've had battles with your friends over some stupid things, especially like as a teenager or growing up. And 
that little humorous epitaph to a situation like that you know yeah just more wisdom from them where they're like Hobbes especially can be big picture focused where he says it puts a bad day in perspective when you're talking about the totality of your life and I it's so obviously so, like, so easy to get wrapped up in whatever's getting you down today or this week and it's nice to have big picture perspective sometime oh yeah like I was just thinking about this uh, a few days ago where I don't remember a lot of my bad days. Like I remember the right. tragic days, but I don't remember the days where I came home and I was like, oh, that was not a good day. I wish something had gone differently or I'd been better. Yeah. Like when I look back across the, you know, years of my life, those aren't the things that stick in my mind. No, totally not. I mean, I remember I had lots of bad days days and bad experiences in korea but i don't remember any yeah, of them <laughs> that's what i'm saying like uh, yeah like and, and that's a thing to keep in mind because you can let those bad days not only affect you but affect your relationships with others where suddenly they're like oh you're always so negative or oh you're always stressing about this or you're always stressing about that and it's like why are we living in that mentality? Yeah. Uh, but I mean, I am one of the, the worst on this, as many of my friends will attest to, where I, I very much am a, like a verbal diarrhea kind of guy where I'm like, this is what I'm feeling right now. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but that's not always good because like at the end of the day, you don't want to be in a position where you're making people feel negatively all the time but when that's not the memory you have of them. Yeah. Like, that's not the, the feeling you have of it. Yeah. Them. Well, and that's so true because, like, that's just another... There's so much profundity in the quips of Calvin and Hobbes, especially Hobbes's quips, where, yeah, puts a bad day in perspective. I think it was like... I can't remember the exact panel, but it was like one terrible thing happened to someone that wasn't them. This is a beautiful, beautiful, perfect... This is a perfect Calvin and Hobbes panel conversation because it is funny and it's thoughtful and it's true. Like in the in a in the deepest sense of like human trueness that you could come up with, Hobbes says to Calvin, "What you doing?" Calvin says, "Searching for frogs." And Hobbes says, "Why?" And then like in the field, there's the whole there's a whole picture where Calvin just stops what he's doing and they don't talk and they're just looking at each other. And then the final panel, Calvin says, I must obey the inscrutable exhortations of my soul. <laughs> like, like SAT level vocabulary, yeah. mm. deep insight into the existential rumblings of our hearts and that manifesting itself in something really everyday and funny, like catching frogs. Like what is more Calvin and Hobbes than those three things? Right? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> yeah. that, and, that is a great encapsulation. And so funny because it's so deep yeah. in a panel that has so many just kind of jokey panels. And then uh, weekends don't count unless you spend them doing something completely pointless. <laughs> <laughs> so then the only other main characters, and they're not even main, but they're the only, there's three secondary characters that are recurring, which is his parents, mom, dad, and Susie Durkins, his neighbor, right? And so I just wanted, I didn't take nearly as many notes about them because I don't, they play auxiliary to a lot of the main motifs of the thing, which is Calvin's imagination and silliness and Hobbes's common sense and thoughtfulness. But some of the funny things about Calvin's dad 
is how he often lies to Calvin about the way the world works for humorous effect. Like how he lies to Calvin about how the sun works. Like it moves <laughs> east to west because of solar winds. And there's one panel where he says, Calvin says, why are movies black and white? And he says, because the world wasn't in color back then. <laughs> I he says, well, how come, how come paintings didn't change color? <laughs> or like, why are paintings from a long time ago in color? He's like, well, because they changed color in the 1930s when everything else did, right? And Calvin's like, well, why didn't the movies? Just because they were made in black and white, right? Like, there's no logic. <laughs> no. But no. There is a, there's a humor in the way that Calvin's dad kind of lies to Calvin so believably. <laughs> that Calvin is so influenced by him. And apparently Watterson modeled Calvin's dad after a lot of the things of his own dad, which is funny. But I think the biggest thing about Calvin's dad is his incessant insistence on Calvin building character. Yeah, he he, he seems to think that he doesn't ha- seem to have a well-defined idea of what character is, except that it definitely involves suffering. Yeah, well, or like what he wants Calvin to do. Yes. <laughs> Whatever he wants Calvin to do will build, build his character. character. Yeah, yes. yeah. <laughs> so whether it's shovel, but like a lot of it will like responsibility. They're like shoveling the walk when it snows, or cleaning your room, or like going on a camping trip and learning about nature. The thing that's so funny is that a lot of times Calvin's dad is right. Well, except at my, 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 I think of the absurdity that waters water or waterson loves absurdity and i love the camping trip where the entire camping trip is in the rain yeah and they're miserable the whole time and like at the very end of the camping trip the sun comes out yes and <laughs> and then calvin's like can we stay <laughs> well and i believe the last panel of that strip is calvin talking to hobbs and saying did you know what any of those words dad said meant? Did you write them down? And then, and then, and then, and then Hobbes says, no, but I wrote them down and we can check them <laughs> Yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I would say like, <laughs> but like, I think part of that is such a, this is again, the, a lot of his life did not go unnoticed, right? He, he notices right. things. And I liked the way you put that because he notices like how important vacation becomes to you when you're trapped in a job you don't necessarily like. And I think it's fairly obvious all throughout that whatever may be said for Calvin's dad, which I don't think we ever learn his name. No, it's, no, it's, we don't. We Neither never know. We, know we don't name. know their name. They never say the name, each other's name to each other, but he does not like his job. Like he is miserable. Yeah, he's just an office worker. Yeah, and uh, and he's so looking forward to these days of freedom, and then, like you said, reality comes and slaps you in the face and says, "Ah, oh, your expectations are not going to be met in this." Yeah, and then and, and vacation, it's, and it's so well done. It's mm-hmm. so well done. Yeah, I mean, both Calvin's parents, mom and dad, a lot of the joke in the strips are them having to deal with a kid like calvin well yeah all, <laughs> like what it's that, like to... particularly his poor mother who, yes. like obviously must be some level of saint because like, well she continues to love this uh well, she's got some great lines like uh, sometimes you should transform yourself into someone who makes an ounce of sense <laughs> she's got some of the best like some of the best other than hobbs calvin's mom has some of the best one-liners this is another thing. Go back to Jupiter X3, whatever. <laughs> right? She's 
but she's also thoughtful. Like things don't really matter. It's hard to believe how often we forget that because there's a part where their house is broken into and like people steal their stuff and you know we're someone else to someone else. Yeah, you know, like yeah. I always thought this happened to someone else, but we're someone else to someone else. Like that level of empathy and awareness. That's actually a great is, panel series. The whole yeah. break in because it's actually a very um, human humanizing. It, it takes you out of the the humor of Calvin and Hobbes. Like people go through this, and it's like traumatic to them. Yeah, there but are it's a so handful. Personal. There are a handful of real life type of panels. The break in, the dead bird, the yep. dead raccoon, things where they're actually suffering. You know, and that the, that there's a tragic beauty to those parts. Yeah. That is few and far between. In Again, Calvin and Hobbes, the, but the, enough. The mundane nature of reality, but the beauty and the tragedy that can be experienced in the every moment. And for anyone who hasn't read it. Highly recommend Annie Dillard's Pilgrim at Tinker Creek to like really dive into that as well. Like it's a, a great uh, reflection on that idea. Nice. And then Susie, there's a great little one where Calvin throws a snowball and hits Susie in the back of the head. And then Susie pretends to lose her eyeball. And so she taps into Calvin's sympathy, right? Because he feels <laughs> oh, yeah. bad. Because like, he didn't oh, want... no. And then as soon as Calvin gets close enough, he <laughs> she kicks him in the butt and knocks him into the snow. And so what it, what's so great about Susie is that she knows Calvin's psychology really well <laughs> and knows how to get at him if she wants to. And yet is still grossed out by him sometimes because he's really gross, right? Like it's, a, it's almost – I love Susie and Calvin's relationship because it's so – they argue all the time. But they kind of know each other's weaknesses and play with them. Like yeah. there's an obvious, there's an obvious chemistry between them that it makes sense why any online comics have them married in the future or together. Because I think that there is something really fun about knowing the eccentricities and idiosyncrasies of someone else to such a degree that you know how to exploit them for some low level prank or humor right like yeah calvin knows how to exploit Susie's disgust at all of the gross food he pretends to bring and Susie knows calvin is actually brains <laughs> like sympathetic yeah. to her and doesn't actually want to hurt her that she'll fake injury so that he comes close enough that, that she can just smoke him in the head with a snowball or something <laughs> right she always gets Calvin in the end. Like she's she almost wins always every gets the better time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hoses him when he's trying to water balloon her because Hobbes again <laughs> betrays him for her. And she's got a great line. What is One, I forget, what does she do for Hobbes in that moment that Hobbes betrays Calvin for? There's some well, it, small thing. She says she loves his jams, like his oh. swim trunks, right? <laughs> right. And, that's uh, it. and then Hobbes. A little has flattery. A, line. a little flattery. Yeah, exactly. And then <laughs> The last little thing I wrote about down about Susie, because she's great. Like, she's just great, but she's a secondary character, but I love her. Susie has a great line. She says, sometimes I think books are the only friends worth having. <laughs> and my which little is, note on that was, great, amen. Uh, yeah. <laughs> amen. Yes, Susie. amen, amen. Like, I just love Calvin and Hobbes, and there's so much to talk about, so we could talk forever. We could, we could, we could go through every five. You could go through every single panel yeah. and figure out something worth talking about there. But um, not so unlike Arrested Development one of the great from a humor standpoint one of the best parts of calvin hobbes is its tropes there are running jokes or running scenarios that are so in the dna of calvin and hobbes that you can't i just wrote down as many as i could notice along the way and then any that you come up with too i want to just mention because i think it will bring joy perhaps to anyone who hasn't read calvin hobbes for a long time calvin always uses his imagination to prank the people around him 
Like he just wants a prank. So you have an entire panel of him as a dinosaur or him as Spaceman Spiff. And then it's some kind of prank. And then it's just a dumb little around the house prank that he's actually doing, right? (laughs) (laughs) That brings joy to me. (laughs) there's There's another great trope where something in his house or in his school, something inanimate gets anthropomorphized and Calvin gets blamed. So there's like... Uh, the one that comes to mind is like his food comes alive and like tries to get Calvin just falls on the floor. And like as the audience, we see it all. And then the last panel is his mom getting so mad at him for throwing his food on the floor. floor. (laughs) He's trying to eat me. But we know and it's like his pillows, his clothes, like everything, like he, his clothes become alive and dress him and he's leaving and he's like, can't control. He's like, mom's like, what are you wearing? He's like, it's not my fault. Uh, we mentioned this, his dad, dad always lying to Calvin and building character. Calvin is always a dinosaur or a mm-hmm. big animal, which or, is hilarious. Or like a god or... You mentioned it before, Hobbes pouncing on Calvin yes. is a great trope. Love that trope. All the jokes. And then I put this one in all caps, all the snowmen. Oh, good. <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up because I was definitely going to if you didn't. Like, the thing I think about when I think about Calvin and Hobbes is his artistry with a snowman. Like, it's incredible. It's... When, I remember reading it and just being in awe of his what he what he was able to build. I mean, obviously it's uh, it's cartoon. It's a cartoon, but like I have tried to replicate some of these things in my life as a youngster because we get a lot of snow in Canada, and oh, it's so much fun! Snowman armies that you then take out, right? Like I would say, Watterson inspired part of my childhood, which was building gigantic snow things. Yes, definitely. <laughs> yeah, just the humor that comes from oh, the macabre <laughs> and the normal and the weird. Well, I the, love that, that the scene where nonsensical. The, his parents are walking out of their house and they're like, we might have to take him to therapy. Like, yeah, <laughs> this, this kid needs a psychiatrist. Yeah, or like he does a row of snowmen along the sidewalk that are all saluting and his dad's <laughs> walking in from the car and he says, he knows I hate this. <laughs> Or, yeah. or like the one that's on top of the house, like looking over. Yeah, like and... he Watterson nailed the humor trope, the running joke. Yeah, nailed the running joke in this, and and like again, when you're used to it, and then it comes back and it recurs. Recursion is something he does as good as anyone I've ever yeah. seen in anything. And well, it's 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 even it's done better than most TV shows do character building or anything. It's done in a way that like. Yeah, of course that's a thing Calvin does. And he did it even better this yeah. time, or he did it even yeah. different this time. Like a borderline sociopathic six-year-old would make the world's weirdest <laughs> snowman, wouldn't he? Or have like a snowman <laughs> apocalypse. Yes, or... <laughs> yes, exactly. My favorite trope, probably, is how Calvin and Hobbes often ride down a hill if it's summer on a wagon if or in winter, winter on a sled. Yeah. And always have very deep philosophical discussions <laughs> while this is happening, yes, right? Yes. Or like discussions about time travel or the meaning of existence or the meaning of love right and then at the end there's always some quip that Hobbes gives to the end yeah. which is so funny right yeah. I love that trope it's as Calvin and Hobbes to me as the snowman those two I think I consider to be when I think of Calvin and Hobbes those are the, the snowman and the wagon yeah are the two things that yeah. I think of the most one thing that's great that isn't as obvious especially as a kid but becomes very obvious when you read Calvin and Hobbes is that there's so much high culture in Calvin Hobbes, there's references to Hamlet, Nietzsche. to Emmanuel Nietzsche, Emmanuel Kant, philosophers, Hobbes, scientists, uh, genetics. Right? Yeah. There's just so many great, highbrow, intelligent, thoughtful references. One of the ones that I totally forgot about until we reread Calvin Hobbes for this podcast, and then I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Is Calvin's 
uh, obsession with his hobby of chewing gum. Yeah. Oh right. Yeah. Like, no. Right. Right. He he yeah. he's like he subscribes to Gum Chewers magazine, and he's he like, loves. yeah. How do I get my bubbles bigger? And like, <laughs> they have fake gum that you can chew to get ready for the real thing. And yeah, he he's very he never throws it gum. out. He just adds another piece of gum, so he still has all like he's working the jaw muscles. <laughs> As like Hobbs Hobbs again has the perfect like audience reaction. Like, how is this a thing? Yeah. Which again is like a great extrapolation to. A lot of my feelings where I see, like, how is this a thing? How do people do this? Why is that something people care about? Yeah, no, exactly. But, I mean, it's also a great reminder that there are things just so far out of my thought process of what someone well, would one of care the, about. One of the things I say a lot is, um, I, I, I like to call them pyramids or worlds, right? But people have these hierarchies and these existences that they have that are completely separate from everyone else's understanding of reality. The example I like to use is I have a very good friend who is obsessed with and very good at magic cards. Right. So it's a, but there is a whole world. There are the heroes of the magic card universe who are so good at it that like everyone really respects their talent. It would be the same with tennis. It's the same with hockey. It's the same with anything. There's, there are so many things that people care about that other people don't know anything about. Yeah, 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 of course. I would love to have seen a chewing gum convention. No, I know. <laughs> like, like a competition. I'm, I'm sure there probably is one. Like, yeah, I'm like, sure it exists. got to be. <laughs> and, I, and I hope the best is someone named Calvin. <laughs> I hope so, too. Calvin Ball, like you yes. mentioned earlier. Oh, man. You never play it the same way twice. <laughs> well, so, like, this is the problem with Calvin Ball. And my brother and I ran into this growing up because we both loved Calvin and Hobbes was it is a very hard game to play. It takes a whole new level of imagination. Like, actually, what, what Watterson has created here is a very difficult... The score is 12 to Q. <laughs> yeah, like, you have to really come up with, like, some crazy rules. And, like, it's cool because it shows the genius of Calvin, actually, is that he's able to create continuous transformation right. in a game. Because so often... The things about a game, and I think you mentioned this in an earlier podcast about soccer, but like eventually you want to have boundaries on the soccer field. Yeah. Eventually you want to have rules to make everything make sense. You couldn't really play Calvin Ball with more than two people. No, no, <laughs> no, no, you couldn't. But to create something that Although, is... Although, just as an interesting aside, Rosalind, the babysitter, she does one play of the last yeah. runs, she does play with them as a really like... It was actually the most beautiful moment of... Ro- like the last time we see Rosalind... In the run, she's playing Calvin Ball with Calvin and Hobbes. And like every other time she's been babysitting, it's like they fight and he or she's on the phone with her yeah. boyfriend. Or like or... she's not involved, right? It's like the really the only time she plays with Calvin. And it's I love that it's the last. And the best part is that she uses it to make him go to bed because she gets like some she yeah. makes some obscure rule that that even Calvin and Hobbes can't yeah, yeah, do. Yeah. Beat him at their own game, right? Yeah. <laughs> you might say. <laughs> you gotta beat you gotta beat the six year olds at their own game. Yeah, yeah you're exactly. Not, uh, you're not gonna but win. Yeah, you're right. It's like an impossible game to actually play, but that's again the, the imagination aspect. But like of it, right? the coolest part was at least growing up for me. I wanted to play that game so badly because it seemed so fun. That was what was created, right? It was an idea that was so fun that I wanted to replicate it. And probably that and the, and the snowman were the two things I wanted to replicate from Calvin and Hobbes. Yeah. And the snowman one I was able to recreate, but I was not able to recreate Calvin and Hobbes. That's how complicated it is to play a game with no rules that you're constantly making up on the spot. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. One of the great tropes is also the, all their fights in the treehouse from their Get yes. Rid of Slimy Girls Club. Yes. Yeah, um, I love how much the girls love Hobbs. 
and and Hobbs Hobbs is like, man, I can't wait to smooch some babes. Um, Calvin hating school, like this is an entire. This could be a podcast on its own, but like someone like Calvin with his imagination in that kind of educational Regimented, system, yeah, yeah. And then there's treasure everywhere. And then my my favorite panel. Like my favorite strip, sorry, like a four-piece strip that I ever saw of Calvin Hobbes, or the, at least the one that sticks with me the most, and I can't even remember verbatim, so take that for what it is, is like the first two panels is Calvin complaining about his burnt toast. Like he's like, the toaster burnt my toaster. It's on too hot. I hate it. Why can't we get a better toaster? Blah, blah, blah. How am I going to eat this? My breakfast is ruined, and now my day is going to be ruined. And then the next panel is his dad saying, and yet somehow life goes on (laughs) you know yeah and like so if i'm going to take one thing away from well two things two things i'll take away from calvin Hobbes. one is that your life is so much bigger than what's happening to you right Mm -hmm. now number two exploration and finding and curiosity and imagination are the most beautiful things to pursue when left to your own devices because there's treasure everywhere there's i think that that is a great summary because i think my favorite thing about calvin and Hobbes there's treasure everywhere there's not just treasure everywhere there's treasure in every moment so anyway this has been another episode of really true fiction my name's luke mason and mine's david parker and uh we thank you for reading calvin and Hobbes and listening to us have a good night have a good one